Support for this episode comes from Venture Noir. Venture Noir's mission is to unify family foundations, nonprofit organizations, and venture capital by creating a sustainable economic impact ecosystem. With programs like In the Black and Dare to Venture, they're working to reduce the wealth gap in the U.S. Learn more at VentureNoir.org. Support for this episode comes from High Ground Hair Space. High Ground Hair Space features a new approach to hair and human care that includes gender-free pricing and a focus on sustainability. Find them on Instagram at High Ground Hair Space to see their work. Book an appointment and learn more about their mission. Welcome, everybody. I'm your host, Emma Willis. Thank you all for joining me today on Raising a CEO. The podcast explores the idea that great leaders aren't born. Instead, they're grown. We're going to have some amazing folks dropping in to share their experiences so we can learn more about what it takes to successfully lead an organization. In this season, we start with the idea of the infancy stage of becoming a CEO. Today, I'm talking to the co-founder and CEO of Halcyon, Kate Goodall. Kate has all the accolades in the world, just to name a few. She's been listed as one of the Washington Business Journal's Power 100, as well as their New Guard list at 40 Under 40. Without further ado, I bring you Kate Goodall of Halcyon. I'm super excited about this interview because... First of all, I didn't know half of the stuff you had in your your just background. I mean, you were all over the place with these <laughs> degrees. I feel like I need to be talking to you about maritime history instead of talking to you about entrepreneurship. And I really just want to dive into who you are, how you got here, and we'll just take it from there. Okay. First of all, Emma Willis, I'm honored to be chatting with you. I'm so excited to be doing this with you. Um, and second of all, I'm going to take all over the place as a badge of honor <laughs> instead of the other way you can take it. You know, definitely sort of, I, let's call me a generalist. Should we do that? I'm a generalist. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Jack in general. I, I think yeah. we put people in boxes too frequently. So I right? actually love the fact that I was able to research you when you had so many interesting things in your background. Our first experience together, I wouldn't have even guessed half of the degrees that you own. And I think you should kick it off and, and let our um, listeners know exactly what all you've been into in the course of your life, because it's some pretty impressive things. Oh, thank you. I, um, I mean, at my core, I'm a humanist, right? I'm interested in human endeavors and particularly the way that we maybe hopefully are evolving to be a better and better species. So that's really the, the through line. and. You know, my endeavors with maritime archaeology, that's, that's what I got my graduate degree in. I did spend time diving on inundated sites and shipwrecks. Nowhere glamorous at all. So, Were you going any further? Are you still diving today? Are I have dived. I, I dived recently with my sons, which was super enjoyable. They're finally old enough to go diving. And that was the first time for me in at least a decade, which was great. Well, you still got it? Can you still? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I still got it. <laughs> That's great. But yeah, no, nowhere that you'd think of and nowhere glamorous. I was in dry suits in the Great Lakes, in zero visibility waters in the Mississippi or North Carolina or Galveston Bay, you know, really interesting historical stuff, but perhaps not what you think of when you think of like, you know, 
Mediterranean amphora. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I just read a really interesting article, matter of fact, about some of the cities that are now underwater because of different planning and different things that have happened around the U.S. And it really opened my eyes to the things we do to actually generate lakes, have places for people to recreate. And I think that's what you're talking about is like you've gone to some dive sites that have been pretty interesting archaeologically, like there's some history there. What's the coolest thing you found underwater? Probably the the two projects that are most well known, and I'll answer your question in a slightly roundabout way, that I've helped with would be the Queen Anne's Revenge, which was Blackbeard's Blackbeard ship. And then, you know, the, the Monitor project, which was a civil warship. But so probably the most interesting thing was actually a, a Revolutionary War vessel in North Carolina that I did my thesis on. And it was a boat that was used by the locals in that place to defend themselves against the British. And they had to create their own weaponry. So they would take two big, gnarly, like nails, bolts, and wrap them with metal in the middle so that when you stuck it into a cannon, it was like a two-sided sharp object spinning around and hitting things. Mm-hmm. So learning things that, you know, weren't necessarily like documented was, was really quite interesting. That's really cool. Now, you got to give me the progression. Okay, we get these (laughs) degrees. We decide that we want to move into the space where you are a full fledged humanist. You're supporting people and their dreams and their drives and their motivation. Talk to me about what that looked like in Kate's life. How do we arrive to Kate at Halcyon today? Yeah, I'll try and abbreviate. You got time. Tell me the story. (laughs) I, um, you know, it, it actually doesn't make a lot of sense, but I think this is where, you know, perhaps the, the takeaway for some people who might be listening and wondering what their path is in life is that A, you never will know, right? And, yes. and so definitely just choose things that you're passionate about and inspire you and, and trust that Great it will advice. take you somewhere. But B, I mean, I just, I definitely didn't plan on running an incubator. And I, you know, started doing this uh, maritime archaeology work, I moved to Washington, D.C. actually to work in museums after doing it for four or five years. And I'll be very frank with you, Emma, kind of being the girl that they'd send to do the outreach because it was a very masculine feel. Oh, we um, have similar stories. Okay, keep talking. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, you go talk to these people over here that we need to make sure are okay with this, you know, was kind of my role. And I just, you know, that was fine, but got a little fatiguing. I ended up going to museums and falling in love with museums because that's where the artifacts end up and they can be used to really, I think, meet people where they are when they want mm-hmm. to learn rather than school environments. It's a great alternative learning source, museums. And I quickly moved through the ranks in museums. I had some amazing mentors. Best piece of advice I ever got was like, figure out your North Star and don't be afraid to say it out loud. Even if you don't ever get Wait, to Wait, say that one more time, because I think that's a really great quote. That's like one of the little gems. So figure yeah. out your North Star and follow it. Figure out your North Star. Don't be afraid to say it out loud. And I mean that really, uh, like dissect that a little bit, right? I wanted at that time to be the director of a museum when my mentor asked me, what do you want to do, right? So that we can start to filter all these opportunities that are coming your way and figure out which ones you should follow. What do you want to do, really? And I think a lot of people say they don't quite know when they do, but they're too afraid to utter it. An example from my life, I said back to him, I think I want to run a small museum some someday. And he said, Kate, why are you caveating it? 
<laughs> Why do you say small? Oh, he called you out. He called you out. That he was did. great. And what a great yeah. mentor, right? Like to do that, yeah. to catch that, to catch my own, you know, little sort of like neuroses and security in mid-sentence. And so, you know, he made me say out loud, I want to be the director of a major museum, which was not what I ended up doing and not what I want to do anymore, but but really helpful to kind of decide what learning opportunities I needed to have, what my network needed to look like. And that actually led me to meet my co-founder, Dr. Sachiko Kuno, who's a biotech entrepreneur from uh, Japan. She has her own fascinating story. And this, she, is, this is just amazing. Okay, so all of these women have these very just heavy backgrounds in science, archaeology. How does that set you up for the role you have today? So you've taken this journey from COO to CEO. Talk to me a little bit about all the things that have kind of led to the makings of Kate as a CEO. Yeah, this is a lot. This is I mean, this is I actually need to interview you for two hours. But <laughs> <laughs> this, this is really good. Well, we, yeah, we can we can keep talking for as long as you want. Hopefully, you know, at some point we'll do it in person with some wine. But um, so Sachiko is amazing in her own right, right. And going back to what you shared with me about sort of some of the things that you faced and, and certainly I have faced, she did similarly, right? Her, she was the first one to graduate with a degree in biochemistry from Kyoto. And one of her professors told her he didn't know how to teach women at a graduate level. So he, she, he suggested she go to Munich I mean, and Germany. Do women listen differently? In <laughs> we have a whole different cochlear okay. system. No, I think, you know, she, she d- took it in stride and it actually ended up being a great opportunity, right? So she went to Munich, she went to New York. She, we then met and she was, she'd purchased this amazing house in, in Georgetown in Washington, D.C., 30,000 square feet originally designed by Benjamin Stoddard, who's the first secretary of the US Navy. And she knew she wanted to turn it over in all of its glory to young innovators who- What year was this? What year did she purchase the house? She purchased in 2011. She and I were introduced in 2012. She'd been looking for a COO, for someone to help her figure out sort of her private philanthropy and this house, this space, what was going to happen. And she hadn't been successful. And she and I were introduced as a total wild card, right? On my end, I wasn't looking for a job. And someone said, you've got to go meet this woman. And on her end, I think she got a similar prod. And we just like loved each other from the first moment. I think we both tend to run into fear, right? Mm-hmm. That's just like a natural wiring we both have as if it yeah, makes us same afraid. Here. Yep, yeah. I can tell. If it makes At you first. afraid, you do it more, right? Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, that was, I think, what brought us together was that we were not afraid to try. And even though my background had no, you know, there was no nothing in my background that said I could start this incubator with her. There was a level of chemistry that has become trust that was helpful. So okay. I was hired as COO. And then we designed this program utilizing this space and its and its unique assets, which honestly, Emma, is really where where, you know, our differentiating factor is that you know, we have all of these uh, sort of bedroom apartments. So entrepreneurs from around the world actually come and live with us in cohorts of eight mm-hmm. for five months. And they get a whole bunch of supports. They get $10,000 stipend. They get an Arnold and Porter lawyer, a Deloitte consultant to do a, you know, a specific project for them, whether it's figuring out a customer segment or their price point or whatever it is that they don't have the resources to do. And uh, Amazon Web Credits, mentors, a free leadership coach. I mean, it's probably the most robust 
offering it's out there. very robust i think that's very impressive and i mean as an entrepreneur to be able to have that type of support and not have to worry about going hungry or having somewhere to sleep exactly being right. able to just dedicate your time and energy towards your passion and that's you nailed, great nailed the whole point of it right which yeah. is like Satchiko said, I want to give people time and space, you know? So what does that mean? When in your life do you get time and space to just be and think as big as you can and run as fast as you can, or, or just rest for a minute before you run really fast. Right. And so it was designed to take care of those needs to offset those costs. And, and as a result of the, the sort of the generosity of that intervention, and because we went early stage, none of this, I will say was completely, we didn't think all the way through to the consequences of it at the time, but the consequence has been that we are able to disrupt who gets to do this. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, it provides that level set, that democratization, because not everyone can take that risk, right? Not everyone yeah. has all of those resources. And so we go very early stage, idea stage to MVP, pilot, tops, all precede. And it means that, you know, if you want to really come give this a go, you've got a community here and we're going to help you take that risk. So um, that's amazing. That's been, that's been the joy, Emma, honestly, over the years. I could, I mean, I see your eyes light up when you talk about this opportunity that's afforded to entrepreneurs. I mean, just taking away those insecurities that a lot of people face is a, is a big step in the right direction. I mean, I don't know too many people that are saying that are giving carte blanche is, you know, here, here's everything that you need. Now, you know, turn your passion on and go as far as you can and dream as big as you think you can. That's, that's amazing. I think you guys are doing phenomenal work. Now, let's get to the topic of CEO. Those are some really big letters. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm interested in the lessons you've had to learn to get to where you are today. And I know it's still a position where you grow and learn on a daily basis, or you hope people are. But talk to me a little bit about the transition from COO to CEO and what that's been like for you. Yeah. You know, I, I had the benefit and luxury of a leadership coach which I recommend to anyone doing that kind of adaptation. Yeah, I highly recommend one. They're, you know, just like athletes have great coaches. It's just a really mm-hmm. great resource. And so so that was helpful for me to make that leap because I am a run headlong into the breach, carry everything, work my ass off kind of person. And that does help you be a successful operator, a great COO, mm-hmm. right? It's why it's why quite honestly, very often there's an amazing woman behind every male CEO actually like, you know, sorting everything out. Shout out to all the really amazing Shout out to CEOs all the amazing CEOs. All the male CEOs. That is that literally story. make it possible, <laughs> right? And and this is this is like where you and I bonded first, right, Emma, is this myth mm-hmm. of like this amazing CEO who can do everything and and it's all about them. And that's just such a an old school 20th century patriarchal myth that has to be busted. Well, right? and, you know, and I, and I think when you and I first talked, I told you about the Harvard study that I had looked up and it was like a CEO, six foot white male who's going to top 10 colleges in the U S and, and has been groomed for this. And I'm like, where is that factory? Like who's, yeah. who's literally invested in the production of these people? Because in our space where we work, Entrepreneurs come in every shape and size. And I think leadership is something not enough people are exposed to. What makes a leader? What skills you actually need to possess in order to drive, you know, to lead a team, to be able to sleep at night and take care of yourself? Like there's so many things that go into this role 
And so maybe you can pick up on that because I, yeah. I really am working hard to make sure people understand that the leaders come in all shapes and sizes. I love it. I think you could do, you know, podcasts on nothing but the nuances on that and, and it would be endlessly fascinating and important. I mean, I 27 guess... episodes already planned. Because <laughs> of of course associate. you do. I think that, um, you know, for me, people need, do need to appreciate that that leadership is, you're not born into it, right? I don't agree that there, there are that many born leaders. And even if someone is technically a born leader in quotes, they still need practice and help, right? So I think sort of like from a starting place, A, I don't think it's about a singular leader. I think it's all about the team. And I'd love to see way more stories from Walter Isaacson or these other people that mythologize, you know, white men, (laughs) just getting frank now, you know, I'd love to see way more stories about teams and about co-founders and founding groups, because Mm -hmm. I personally know more co-founding teams that are successful than I do solo, Mm -hmm. or, you know, there's, there's a lot of entrepreneurs who get a lot of kudos and they're very out front and they're, they're front facing sort of more typical CEO types. And they get a lot of kudos, but but it still is really their team that's, you know, so critical. And and anyone who's honest will say they can't do it alone. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think there's definitely, definitely that. But quite frankly, I learn something new every day to your point. And I have to make it a practice of keeping learning and creating muscle memory around the things that I have learned to make sure that I do it every day and when it's needed. And you know, COVID has been such a lesson for all of us, right? Because it has required so much patience and crisis management and no one has led through a pandemic before. I had no one to turn to, to say, how do you do Oh yeah, this? just tell me what day one felt like when you realized oh, you were going to be at home and all these people were going to have to call you, report in, tell you where they were, what the status was of any project. Like yep. for me, that was that was ground zero for let me just tuck away under some blankets and think about this for a while because I did. <laughs> I had to I had to hold up. I was like, okay, this is not normal, and I'm not sure. And actually, when COVID started for me, I started with a new company, and so oh, it wow. was it was a lot to have to figure out communication styles from afar with a team that I just learned. Like I just learned their name, so hopefully I got them right. So. What was it like having to lead through the pandemic? I had to get way better at listening and better at mm. communicating at the same time, you know, because I think people needed to hear it more times, you know, to feel reassured and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, in more ways. But I also had to work through a couple of really polarizing problems, the likes of which I'd not worked through before. You know, I'll give you an example, you know, a team that, you know, knows that their job is more successful when they're with other humans mm-hmm. because we actually have this really important. Oh, the story of the self-starter and the person that can actually carry a job on their own without the daily nudges or the reinforcements from the team. Is that is that kind of what you were referring to or is um, it something else? No, no, no. I, I was thinking more of like, you know, when, when we're with our fellows because they live here and we work here, you know, it's just, it's an amazing community. And so we wanted to figure out how we could still do that when it was appropriate and actually be with them in person. Uh, and, we knew, okay. and we knew that their mental health suffered when we were just delivering everything virtually. But yeah. at the same time, there was this imperative to protect everyone physically, the, the community as a whole. And, and so, you know, there was, as we were working out how to come back to work and how to, how to do that, you know, I had a team that 
felt very strongly on both sides. And I'd not had that many moments where it was Mm -hmm. that strong of a polarization. So figuring out how to work through that was a huge leadership challenge, right? And certainly it all started with listening, but but that was a test for me, for sure. And and to your point that we hadn't all worked from home before, right? And figuring out how, how to do that was amazing. And to underscore my earlier point about how it's all about the team, on that day one where we both wanted to hide under the blankets, you know, I just said to everyone, like, I don't know what to do. And my team gave me some great And I ideas. commend you for your honesty because a lot yeah. of people acted like they knew what to do. And it was very evident that they had no clue. So no. I, I always appreciate honesty. That's great that you were able to say, hey, me to me too. I, this they, is a they, the, all the good ideas came from other people, right? So one of them was, we usually have one staff meeting a week. Let's start with a staff meeting every day. Right. So that felt a little heavy at first, but it was, I'm so glad we did it because, you know, we gave certainly everyone a reason to be like up and dressed and changing, you know, their habits and not sort of like languishing under the covers. But more importantly, I think that ritualized connection that we all ended mm-hmm. up having every day. We also actually had an existing ritual of gratitude at Halcyon, which I'm happy to talk about why we do that. But that transition mm-hmm. to this virtual environment where at least twice a week at these meetings, we would all say something we were grateful for. And that was amazing to help us all. That's grounding. That's really great to be able to talk about that. So that'll lead me to one of the next points. I'm really interested as a CEO, how you're measuring success where you are. Yep. You know, we have um, an interesting culture where, you know, our values are risk tolerance, optimism, nurturingness, nimbleness, and I always forget one of them. There's one more. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> you know, it's something that we try to operationalize through certain procedures, interview questions, like how do we find people who, you know, are going to continue that culture on? And so there are ways that we sort of like measure some of that. I would love to personally find a way to measure for joy, because I think joy and gratitude help with resilience and we're all so fatigued and it, joy is a great counter to that fatigue. Mm-hmm. How do we get back to finding joy in our work instead of just feeling so frazzled? So maybe I'm not the most typical person to ask how we measure things because it is things like that that are a little bit softer. But mm-hmm. we do have typical KPIs, Emma, and they revolve around five goals. Two mm-hmm. are sort of internal, you know, around sort of our sustainability and things like that. But three are about you know, how we find the best entrepreneurs in the world, how we serve them, how we create the most supportive ecosystems, and how we ensure that we're supporting really diverse founders with different lived experiences. And so measure- you're periodically checking in with yourself then. So this yeah. is this is you on a regular basis going, you know, am I meeting this measure of success for me? Like, and you, you how often are you auditing yourself and and how you lead. It depends on the KPI, right? So some of that data that I just mentioned comes from surveys from our entrepreneurs. So it's as often as we survey them, which is usually a couple of times a year. Mm -hmm. And then other pieces of data is is a combination of kind of publicly available data and and other things. And I'll be honest with you too, we haven't completely cracked the nut on this for some of the KPIs, right? We've started doing it and then we realize the KPI is kind of written wrong or we start doing it and we honestly don't know how to proceduralize the data collection piece on it, or we change who's collecting it. And it, so it's an mm-hmm. ongoing 
it's a battle, right? To sort of like make sure. But that, you're open to this process knowing yeah. that you are going to have to work towards getting it yeah. right. And I think always that's always yeah. marching forward. Yes, absolutely. And that's I think right. that's the orientation that people have to take, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I would say before we get to quick fire and I give you some really cool questions to answer, what would be your advice for today's emerging leaders those that are on this path towards becoming a CEO or think that's where they want to be, what would be three things they would need to take away from your journey and some of your experiences? Yeah. So one, I know it's a little cliche, but it is a marathon, not a sprint. Your legacy is created by the choices that you make every single day. And you may think it's, you know, a tiny little thing to take the time to greet someone properly, to make someone feel loved, to make a connection for someone to, you know, just whatever it is, but I guarantee Mm -hmm. you those are the right choices to make every single time. And they gradually, it's hard for young people to see that because we're, you know, I remember when I was in my twenties, I was so impatient. I wanted it done now, but you will start to have more patience for the timeline and it is, it's a marathon. So just breathe. Right. So that brings me to my second point. You asked how sort of like the archaeology is maybe connected to the present day. You know, when I was diving, I was often in situations where I was either dealing with very technical equipment or some situation that, you know, was dangerous. And the only thing that can really kill you when you're deep underwater is if you panic and that panic leads you to bolt to the surface that you yep. will die. And, and then so, that become, yeah. Remind me what that's called when you rise to the surface too fast. There's a few things that can happen. Pulmonary, pulmonary embolisms where you blow out your lungs and all sorts of lovely things like that. You can also get the bends, which pretty much never goes away. That's when nitrogen gets into your bloodstream and is a very painful condition. So yeah, a lot of really gnarly stuff. And so you have to train your body to not be reactive. Mm. Um, the muscle memory has to become, you know, I'm going to, I see this situation in front of me, this shark, this like the fact that my air is about to run out, whatever it is, and I'm going to pause. I'm not going to do anything at all. I'm just going to pause. I'm going to go back to my breath and I'm going to assess what I need to do. Like there's nothing. So just breathe. It's really just breathe. Just breathe. Go take a walk. If you get an email that makes you angry, sad, there's an emotion that washes over you and you feel the Mm -hmm. need to react immediately, don't do it. Right. And the more that you remember to do that, because the first time is kind of hard because emotions are powerful things right? The more that you can just sort of like, take a minute, go walk around the block, talk to someone who gives good advice, (laughs) do just pause, just breathe. And nothing has to happen right now. No matter what you think, you know, may be urgent, it can all wait for just a second. And you'll be so happy that you did. Even 10 seconds can make a huge difference. So I think that's a really, really important thing to learn. And it is a learned skill. Mm -hmm. You wanted three. I can only think of two. I bet I'll think of five more when we get off. Well, that's, I mean, we can deal with two. I got some more questions for you. And this is quick fire. So quick questions. You respond as quickly as you can. Favorite song right now on repeat. Oh my gosh. Favorite song right now on repeat. What have I been listening to? Let me just open my um, Apple music. You just stumped me. And she calls out Apple Music. I, this I, show is I, not I, promoted or, <laughs> or sponsored by Apple. Uh, Apple, however, you can call me if you would like to sponsor our show. You know, I'm going to, of course, I can't bring it up, but I'll tell you this amazing composer, Alexandra Strelitsky, 
who is actually a modern pianist and mm-hmm. her music when you're trying to like deep think is absolutely beautiful and amazing so i know there's you know probably something a lot cooler and more current i could say if i was able to get my podcast working but or get my um my, my library in front of me but yeah i i highly recommend her she's um, and, and I'm going to do a little follow up on you, too. So you'll see um, your song pick. And then, you know, what's the book it. that you're reading right now? What are you currently reading? What have I got on my stand? Well, I have World War Z for fiction, which I know it's an oldie, but it seems dramatically current, unfortunately. It is very relevant right now. I yeah. Think yeah. Some knowledge from that book. Yeah. And then I also just finished a book about data. I think the lesson I'm learning from you, Kate, is that things that we thought were mutually exclusive are not. And in fact, you can learn (laughs) so many things from so many different avenues and places. And it's really about your personal journey and how you apply. So, I, I mean, there's no rhyme or reason. Like a lot of times you see a person, you go major in business and BA and all of this makes sense. You have now proven that you don't have to follow this planned path to what we deem as success here in America, you really are taking what you know and applying it appropriately to each situation you go through because the diving metaphor was perfect. I really didn't think about that. Yeah, slowing down and realizing that you just need to breathe makes a whole lot of sense. I can think of a lot of sticky situations. And then I'm going to ask you, if we did a biography on Kate Goodall today, and we decided to take it cinematic and it was going to be on the big screen. Who is playing you? It better be somebody with red hair. I don't know. I'm, I'm a stone, please. Come on. Yes. Yeah, good one. Good one. I can appreciate that. Okay. And, uh, the, and the nonfiction book, really quickly, Weapons of Mass Destruction. Have you read it? I have not. So you're adding to my book list and I can appreciate yeah. that. So it's that's fantastic. great. It's, okay. It's how, how data is used to create bias. And then we're getting ready to wrap this thing up. And Kate, I actually want to invite you back because I think I need to have your co-founder on with you. And there's a really good conversation to be had here about leaders, how they're grown, identifying people's strengths and just really knowing how to build a team. So I appreciate you for being here today. Thank you. Thank you so much. I've learned a tremendous amount and I think we're going to be best friends. I don't know how soon I can get there to visit you, but I really want to learn more about you, your work and this path because it's so similar to mine and very rarely ever do I meet a person with this similar unstructured path to where we are today. So thank you so much. I appreciate you for joining me today on Raising a CEO and I look forward to future conversations. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to join us today. You can learn more about all the great work Kate's doing at halcyonhouse.org. You can find more episodes of Raising a CEO on all major podcasting platforms like Apple, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. You can also follow us on LinkedIn at Raising a CEO. We again want to thank our sponsors, Venture Noir and High Ground Hairspace. And until next time, keep on growing.